The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. Over the long Christmas holiday when I was not in school as a child, my mother would entertain us by reading classic books, and we would sit by the hour and listen to her as she read. It astonishes me her voice held out. If she dared stop, we'd say, More, Mama, more, read, read. Well, it's been now almost 50 years ago she gave me a book. The book was entitled, Then Came Jesus. I have treasured this book for many years. If you were to go on the internet and try to buy it, a hardback copy of this book would run almost $1,000 today because it's out of print. 
but I'd like to share with you one of those stories of Jesus coming. It is, and it's not, a Christmas story. It's the story of a coming of Jesus. If there's anything we need today, it's for Jesus to come. We need Jesus. In the gloom of the evening, the ravine was dark, and the pastor's feet stumbled over the unseen rocks. His progress was made even more difficult by the blast of cold air that moaned down the hollow. It was not the lateness of the hour, however, that made the man hurry as best he could along this very difficult and treacherous course. Somewhere up ahead of him, how far he didn't know, a man was dying, and the dying had called for him. In such places as this, the pastor had gone many times in response to the cry of a human heart. Word would come to him from some of his church members or from some other source that there was someone back in the hills or hollows, far removed from highways and towns, accessible only by walking such forsaken and winding paths as the one along which he now pushed upward. Someone who needed Jesus needed someone to show the way to him. Sometimes these paths ended at lonely cabins nestled in remote clearings. <laughs> the path he now traveled was strange to him. He had never seen or even heard of the man whose cabin he was seeking. In the gathering darkness, as he came finally to that house, he heard a hound braying. He knew in this country area he was not to approach the house until he was summoned. The light that spilled out of the windows from the glowing lamps in the cabin caused the warmth of gratitude to spread through the minister's tired body and lent new strength to his stumbling feet. The pastor stood still. He knew from experience that the moment the dog had begun to bark the presence of an intruder, every occupant of the house had become alert and suspicious, and even now searching eyes were glued to the crack, seeking the identity of the newcomer. It was understood among the mountaineers that no stranger was allowed to walk boldly to the house without first making his presence and his business known. There were many tales circulating among the hills of the people, people who'd been shot when they moved too quickly or too quietly about the premises of some of the hill folk. He shivered as he stood there in the faint light, the cold was now so intense that the moisture of his breath froze and made his nostrils pinch together with every breath. For a long minute he waited, and then from the darkness of the front porch of the cabin, a voice called out, Who is it? Over the blast of the wind, the pastor shouted back, I'm the pastor. Mr. Painter sent for me. I'd like to see him if I may. 
There was the sound of subdued murmuring, murmurings as the voices spoke to someone in the house. And then aloud came the invitation, Preacher, you can come on up. The words were a welcome sound. Not only did they indicate that he was known and had been accepted, but also they opened the way to deliverance from the cold to the blessed warmth within. For the wind was laden with the spicy, pungent fragrance of wood smoke. As he drew near the cabin, the pastor became aware of its smallness. He estimated that it could not consist of but two or most, at most, three small rooms. How many people lived in this space he did not know. But he'd been in places no larger than this, where as many as a dozen people in a family lived. Sometimes when the hills were gripped by the cold such as on this cold night, dogs and calves and chickens and even small pigs were crowded into the with the human occupants. More than once, pigs had been chased out when the pastor entered, or chickens had been shoved from the crude chair back so he could have a seat. This sort of thing no longer startled or dismayed him. He'd come to expect and accept it as a part of the pattern of life among the people for whom a living came hard because it had to be carved out of the rugged, reluctant steeps of the mountains that gave up blessings only very grudgingly. A few scrawny chickens, a pig, that constituted a winter's supply of meat for those people who tilled the rocky slopes or worked a few days seasonally for almost nothing on the bigger farms in the valley. So he'd come to expect crude and humble houses whenever he climbed the paths that led to the mountain homes. But they were homes, and he was welcomed among them. As he stepped onto the board porch of the simple house, he became aware of the fact that the cabin was even cruder than most in the light that streamed from one window in the front. He saw the rough boards from which the cabin was built. The boards had been nailed side by side vertically. Over the cracks, thin strips had been nailed. He could not see the features of the dark figure that loomed near the doorway, but a deep, friendly voice greeted him. "'It's a, it's a cold night, ain't it, preacher?' It surely is, the pastor responded, extending his hand. The hand was engulfed in one much larger, <clears throat> pardon me, and, and rougher than his own. The strength with which it was gripped was almost cruel. He followed his guest into the cabin, both of them stopping as they passed through the low door and stepped into a room made of, made golden by the lamplight and the warm, of an iron stove that glowed cherry red. A handmade table, no cloth to cover it, three rickety chairs, the iron stove, and the dimly seen bed in the shadow corner of the room. Those were the only furnishings. With a quick glance, the pastor took all this in and turned to look upon the man that had ushered him into the cabin. He saw a rugged, powerfully built man. The face behind a stubble of dark beard was deeply tanned by the sun and wind. The features stiff with embarrassment caused by the presence of a stranger, especially a stranger who was a pastor. 
the craggy and sharply outlined face, looked at him with friendliness. The deep blue eyes were piercing and glinted with shy welcome. The man was dressed in a blue wool shirt, opened at the neck and with sleeves rolled up on muscular arms, in spite of the cold that penetrated even within this small room. He wore brown corduroy pants and on his feet heavy cowhide boots. Sensing the pastor's gaze upon him, the man looked up, a grin splitting the rugged, attractive face. Again the deep voice spoke, Preacher, I'm Cy Painter. I've been here a few weeks looking after my pa, ever since he took worse and couldn't do for himself. He spoke with a slow drawl so common to mountain people. I live across the ridge with my own family. Pa's been living by himself ever since Ma died eight years ago. He made out all right living here alone until a few weeks ago. He took sick then. He's gone down steadily ever since. We had the doctor to him a couple of times, but the doctor says it's, it's consumption and there ain't nothing he can do for him. I'm afraid he's dying, preacher. I don't know anybody much for the last day or so. He's been asking for preacher. That's why I sent word down the hollow today asking you to come. We ain't never been to your chapel, but we heard of you. We heard that you go among us mountain people whenever you are asked to. The pastor listened attentively while the man spoke, and then he he said, Mr. Painter, your father is very ill, isn't he? A weak voice called from the bed in the corner. Who is it, Cy? It's the preacher, Pa, Cy replied to his father. We done got word to him like you asked, and he's just got here. Oh, bring him over here, son. The quavery voice, scarcely above a whisper. A spasm of coughing cut it off before he could speak further. The pastor moved quickly to the bedside, pulling up a chair and seating himself. The gray, sickly face before him was almost ghostly. The skin was drawn so tightly across the bone structure it looked like wax. The eyes were deep pockets of exhausted suffering. On each cheek was a telltale pink glow. The siege of coughing gradually subsiding until the slight form shaking upon the bed, the breathing shallow and gasping now. The pastor reached out and took the thin, feverish hand of the dying man, and gently he stroked it, while the shaking grew quieter and the breathing resumed the normal gasping of one dying of tuberculosis. Mr. Painter, if you do not feel like you're able to talk, let me talk. I think I know what you need. I think I know what you want to hear. You don't have to say anything. There was an impatient shaking of the gaunt, ghostly face. With a wheezing voice, the old man answered, Preacher, I ain't got long to talk, and there ain't many words left in me, but I gotta say em while I can say em. All right, then pastor reassured him you say whatever is on your heart i'll listen but when you get tired quit and let me talk a while for a moment the thin blue lips of the sick man twitched with emotion 
tears were squeezed from the tightly shut eyes and trickled down his face. Preacher, the gasping voice said, I ain't been no church-going man in all my life. We hadn't no church to go to till you came to these parts. But I can't offer that as an excuse. I, I wouldn't have went to it had it been there all the time. My pa before me was a godless man. My ma was a religious woman, and she tried to read us from the Bible and talk to us about God. But pa used to make her hush, and sometimes he'd fly into a rage and threaten to beat her and burn her Bible. She finally just gave up trying. I, I, w I was raised godless, preacher, and I've been godless all my life. I've done a lot of wrong in my time. I broke all the laws in the book. <laughs> Mostly I made moonshine whiskey. Of course, I say, tain't wrong for a man to make whiskey. The corn was mine, and I figured it was up to me to decide if I eat it off the cob or drink it out the bottle. But the law says twas wrong, so I'm guilty. That ain't all. I done stole, I done drank barrels of whiskey, I done lied and cheated, and maybe once I killed a man, at least he died a few weeks after I beat him. The sick voice trailed away in a whisper, and a sob shook the wasted form on the bed. Pastor thought the talk was ended, but from somewhere the old man drew up more strength and continued, All my life until now, I done denied God. Said, There will bear me witness that many was the time I said to him and to other children, There ain't no God. A man has to go up by himself, make his own way. I don't need no God to tote me along. The waxy face turned for a moment to see where his son stood, silent, unmoving as though seeking confirmation of his confession. And then he turned his feverish eyes back to the pastor. I denied him. I cursed his name. I broke his laws. I'd done him wrong in every way. And now I know I gotta meet him. And I'm scared, preacher. I'm afraid to die. He was openly weeping now. The pastor's grip on the thin, hot hand was reassuring, and from it came the self-control to resume. Preacher, there is a God, ain't there? With terrible earnestness, the hollow eyes were burning into the pastor's. The minister answered simply, There is a God, Mr. Painter. Well, do you know him, preacher? Yes, I know him. I've known him for a long time. Then tell me, what's he like, preacher? I got to meet him soon. I want to know what he's like. For a moment, the preacher wondered how he could find the words to speak. How could he speak to this? To this mountaineer who all of his life had closed his mind to God, his heart to God. And now in the last hour, 
He wanted to know who God was. Silently, he prayed as at many other times, O Lord, come to me now, speak through my lips that needs what needs to be said. Come, come to this bedside of this dying man who seeks you and wants you, Savior. Feelings surged through his entire being with a deep stirring of a presence. His Lord had heard and answered, and he was instantly, fully, readily there. Now the pastor knew the words would flow, for they were not his words. He would only be the instrument through which they sounded. And the words came. They flowed. They reached out to a yearning heart, and they conquered. Mr. Painter, preacher began, men have been asking that question from almost the beginning of time. Even those who believed there was a God realized that they knew him imperfectly, slightly, and wondered what he was like. There were those who looked at his words, his works, and said within their minds and hearts, surely someone designed and created and keeps all of this I see, but what is that someone like? Others like yourself marked him off entirely, scoffed at the idea of there being a God until in some moment of desperation like yours they came to see that they'd only fooled themselves, that there is a God with whom all of us have to do. So your question is as old as time and as wide as the world. Thank God, Mr. Painter. There came a time when God gave the answer to that question. He gave it in a way that was the simplest, most unlearned person on earth could understand it. He gave that answer in a life that was lived out in this world for all to see. The answer to your question and the question of all men about God was given in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't expect you to understand all the meaning. The way God came into that life, into this world to reveal himself. Now, I don't understand it all myself. None of us can. It may help you, however, to liken it to my presence here. You heard of me before you sent for me today, but you didn't know me. Others might have told you things about me, some true, some false, but you'd have no way of being certain because you'd never met me. Then you ask me to come to your home. My presence here tells you what you need to know. It is the visible presence of a preacher one whom you can see and touch and hear that tells you what I'm like. So God came into this world visibly, audibly. God came in a presence, in a life, in a form that people could see and touch and hear. He showed the world in Christ what he was like. Whatever you or any person wants to know about God, you need to look unto Jesus Christ one among the followers of Christ asked about the same question you did. He said to the Lord, Show us the Father, and it's sufficient for us. And Jesus answered, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. That's how your question can be answered, my friend. I can tell you about Jesus, and it's the same as telling you what God is like. Now, let me tell you some of it, Mr. Painter. Some things you need desperately to know right now. I think that first of all, and most of all, 
you're anxious to know how God feels about you. That's your deepest concern, isn't it? The haggard face seemed too far spent to even change expression now. There was not enough strength in the wasted form for even a nod of head, but the feverish eyes burned with intensity, and the pastor read in them the confirmation of the assumption. Mr. Painter, in all fairness to you, I must say that all the wrongs and transgressions you have acknowledged have not gone, gone unnoticed by your Maker. He is holy, and he is just, and he cannot ignore the breaking of his law any more than you could ignore the deliberate disobedience of your children when you'd given them some command or some responsibility. But that's not all. God is love. And my friend, I can say without one shadow of a doubt that God loves you. The old man was so startled by this affirmation that he choked again. The thin old body writhed beneath the covers as he fought for breath. When at last he forced the coughing to cease by sheer determination, he held up his hand again to signify that he would speak. For another long moment the words could not be forced out, and then he gasped, Preacher, don't lie to me. Don't tell me such a thing. If it ain't a fact, I've always been afraid of him. Afeard of God. I'm afeard of him right now. If what you say is the truth, then I don't need to be afraid of him anymore. I told you nothing but the truth, Mr. Painter, the pastor said with quiet earnestness. I would not, I could not deceive you now. There's no truth in all the world more certain than the love of God. A hundred times more, Jesus spoke of it, revealed it, he lived that love out before men. To a man named Nicodemus, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He spoke of it again when he gave a picture of what God is like to the parable that we call the story of the prodigal son. He told of a father who had two sons. One of them, the youngest, took everything his father gave him and ran away from home. He threw every blessing away. He wasted it all until finally he got down to the same level with the pigs. He was hired to feed the pigs. And then one day he realized how foolish he was. He was starving to death. And he said within his heart he would go home to his father. He would repent, and he would beg for the privilege of being a hired servant in his father's household. Now listen, friend, to the words of Jesus. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to the servant, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring him hither. 
kill the fatted calf, and let's eat together and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He is lost, and he is found. The pastor paused momentarily, so the full force of the words could sink in, and then he spoke. And that father, Mr. Painter, is a picture of God. The old man groaned. He rolled his head back and forth upon the pillow as though in physical agony being twisted. The thin, reedy voice sobbed. And the other one is a picture of me, O preacher. He can't love the likes of me. I done denied him. I done shook my fist at the sky and cursed him and dared him to do anything about it. The words were pictured by groans of anguish. Sai, who stood silently in the background during all of the conversation, now spoke softly. Hush, Pa. You ain't done nothing. You ain't done yourself no good talking on like this. Listen to the preacher. The old man made no reply, his head went back and forth on the pillow, and he wept uncontrollably. Mr. Painter, the pastor, said, Hear me again for a moment. Rather, hear the words of Jesus again. The publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes into heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God heard that cry. God answered that prayer. And when the man went to his home, all the past was cleansed and forgiven. His sins were washed away. He had become a new person. That can happen to you right now, Mr. Painter. Oh, tell me how, came the tortured cry. Do what the publican did, what the prodigal son did. What every poor sinner has to do. What I did, Mr. Painter. Just your, turn your heart to your Savior. Tell him you've sinned. Ask him to have mercy upon you and to forgive you. Tell him you give yourself into his hands now. Scarcely had he completed the sentence when the words began to pour from the purplish lips. Oh, Lord God, I done sinned. You know I done sinned terribly. There ain't much I ain't done, Lord. It don't seem possible that you can love the likes of me. But this preacher says you do, and he tells me, Jesus, that you love me. So it must be, and I believe it, Lord. The voice had grown stronger with urgency. Do you reckon you can forgive me, Lord? Do you reckon you could have mercy on a sinner like me? There was a sharp intake of breath, as though a keen, cutting pain had knifed through the man, 
but this time the gasp was not of illness. It was one of wonder and astonishment. It was one of joy. A look of incredulity crept slowly over the parchment-like face. It began with a widening of the sunken eyes. They seemed to be set, staring at something so incredibly beautiful it was unbelievable. It became a glowing softness, a radiance like light shining from within and working its way to the surface. A glad cry struggled up from the deepest depths of his soul. Oh, Lord! Oh, Lord! It was the heralding of a birth. It was a hymn of praise and adoration. It was the echo of the joy bells of These were the last words the old man ever spoke in this world. The tired, sunken eyes closed wearily. The lines of fear were gone from the haggard face. Even the nearness of death did not stay the coming of an expression of unutterable contentment and peace from settling upon his countenance. Beside the bed, the preacher watched on through the dark hours of the night. Cy Painter put word in the stove and pulled up a chair to the rough table. He sat with his arms folded upon the table and his head upon his arms. Outside the wind howled and reached out fingers of cold to probe the cracks in the walls of the cabin. There were times during these lonely hours when the pastor noticed that his pants cuffs actually fluttered about with the blast of cold wind that came through the walls and the windows. Just before the first faint streak of light announced the approaching dawn, the thin body of the of the man on the bed stirred faintly. There was a soft sigh of happiness and satisfaction. The pastor looked and knew that it was the presence of Jesus that had etched that sweet, contented smile on the now dead face. (laughs) That's a story from the book Then Came Jesus by Clyde Kirby. I first read that story some now almost 50 years ago. My mother gave me the book. It's, It's a treasure to me. The book The price on it was only 95 cents then. (laughs) Then Jesus came. Then Jesus came. He came as a baby in a manger to show us his incredible love. (laughs) He came to the leper who could not go home because he was unclean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched that leper 
said, I'll make you well. He came to Matthew, sitting at the table, collecting his taxes. And he said, come follow me. And Matthew got up and walked away from his table. He came to the fisherman, Peter, James, John. He said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they got up and left their boats. Jesus came. Came to the cross. And they crucified him. He came out of the grave and stood among the disciples and comforted their hearts. Jesus came again for 40 days and he taught them about the kingdom of heaven. And then he was taken up from them. But then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came in great power. And by the Holy Spirit came also Jesus to dwell in us, to make us righteous, to forgive us our sins, to wipe away our transgressions. Do you need Jesus to come to you today? Do you need Jesus to come to you right now? When Jesus comes, the sickness flees away. When Jesus comes, he heals our hearts. He restores us. When Jesus comes, it's either in judgment unto destruction or it's salvation. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And he came to save his people from their sin. I just sense today that there are many of you listening who need Jesus today. You need him to come to you today. You need a then came Jesus moment in your heart right now. 
I'd like to pray for you. Lord Jesus, you came to me last night when I was very troubled in heart. And you comforted my soul. And you gave me sweet rest through the night, assuring me of your presence, your dwelling in me, of your love for me. And I rejoice in that. And how can I enjoy your wonderful presence and not ask you to please go to those listening right now to the radio? For, Lord, many of them have denied you, have even cursed you, have sinned grossly against you, have lived unconscious lives, grabbing what they could grab, tearing away what they could tear for themselves, with no compassion and no mercy, just living their life. Lord, your people need you. People listening right now to this radio broadcast desperately need you to come to them, Jesus. In this true story I've shared today of Mr. Painter, Lord, you came to him and you saved his soul. You forgave him for his sins and then you took him home. Almighty God, I plead right now for your presence to go out into every home, every car, every office, wherever each one is listening. I ask Jesus, would you go out right now and would you, would you come to them? Would you come in power? Would you bring conviction to their hearts and forgiveness for their sins? Would you would you direct their steps? Lord, they need you. Lord, we live in a day of such anger and rage and bitterness and infighting and destruction. Lord, you're the peacemaker. I pray for our president today, and I pray for Nancy Pelosi today. I pray for the members of the House of Representatives. Lord, there's only one truth, and that is you. And this House of Representatives has done such damage to America and caused such bitterness in the hearts of so many. Lord, I pray today for the members of the House. 
I pray for conviction of their sin and a turning from their wicked ways. I pray you will expose all corruption, uncover every untruth, and bring your judgment. Lord, I ask, will you come to America now? Will you come to America now? Will you come to our president now and protect him and guard his heart? Convict him of his sin and convince him to seek you with all of his heart. Will you do the same for Nancy Pelosi? Lord, you're the only one who can bring peace in our government. You're the only one who can stop the howling, the bitterness, the judgments, the accusations. Lord, this nation has been blessed above every nation in the world with the truth of the gospel. Lord, you have provided us with such an abundance. No nation in the history of the world has had the lifestyle of abundance that we have had in America. Lord, forgive us. For we have squandered what you have given us. Lord, each person who's listening today They know their sin. They know how they have turned aside from you and gone after the things of this world and the things of darkness. They know the uncleanness of their hands before you and of their hearts. I pray you will come now to them. And Lord, those who are listening today who have clean hands and a pure heart, I pray you will put your words in their mouth that they would speak to a sinner. I pray you will give them humility in their spirit and an overflowing love for the lost and the dying. I pray you will make us as Jeremiah the weeping prophet seeing reality for what it is and yet weeping over it, not gloating over it. Lord, would you come now? Would you hear the cry of our hearts? Oh, Jesus, we need you to come now. We need you to come now to each one of us. We need you to come to Washington, D.C. Jesus, we need you. I need you, Jesus. You know that I do not have the ability to, to do the work of the ministry without your Holy Spirit dwelling in me. 
I know the words that I speak are not my own. They come from your heart. Lord, I plead right now for the fullness of your presence to be poured out on my life and the life of this city. Lord, come. Come and meet us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. 
You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Oh